Thank you. And now would you continue on in worship by hearing the reading of God's word. This morning it's from Psalm 105. And um, you'll find in your prayer guide selections from Psalm 105 that Alan will be preaching from in just a moment. Um, But we're going to read the entirety of Psalm 105 as an act of obedience. You know, the scriptures in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, devote yourself to the public reading of God's word. And so that's why we do this week after week, because um, there's power just in simply hearing the word of God read over us. And so as you hear now, Psalm 105, uh, read in its entirety. Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham and the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen, They performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke and there came a swarm of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of their ground. He struck down all the firstborn in their lands, the first fruits of all their strength. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none, none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen on it. 
He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light by night. They asked and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham, his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. And he gave them the lands of the nations and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. So you hear now from Alan as he teaches us from Psalm 105 this morning. Thank you, Stephen, for that long reading. Uh, It's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, Let's just pray together again before we uh, launch into this. Lord, uh, thank you that we can gather as your people, and um, we do thank you for your word. Um, Lord, it is full of your faithfulness, and um, just it is life to us. We pray that you would speak to us today, um, not through me, but through the word of God. May our hearts be changed, and may we be conform more and more into the image of Jesus today. We pray in in your name. Amen. So Psalm 105 is a long psalm, as we just uh, heard, 45 verses. So we're not going to be able to, uh, you know, to tackle it verse by verse. Uh, The big theme that I want to focus on today is the theme of promise. And that Psalm 105 is all about God keeping his promise. Um, you know, promises are all around us. We, we live in a world that is full of promises. Um, you know, advertising. Advertising is all about promises, right? That if you just buy this product, your life will be better, right? Isn't that the promise of all advertising that... Um, this thing that I've got is going to make you happy. Uh, or politics. You know, I've, I've complained up here before about politics, that, that um, in campaigns, you know, the promises are practically messianic. You know, uh, vote for me and I will solve all of your problems. Um, and, of course, you know, movies, all good movies uh, have some sort of promise. You know, promises made or promises broken. Um, I always cringe, you know, when you're watching the movie and, and uh, the hero is going off to war or whatever, and he says, you know, I promise I'll come back. And you, and you have to sit there and go, how can he promise that? You know, he's, he may die out there, but he's promising. Uh, anyway, we like to hear promises, right? Um, so I won't take up too much time with all the... Uh, introduction stuff, but I've got a little movie trivia for you here uh, having to do with uh, promise quotes. So name, name that movie, all right? Here's the quote. Winning that ticket, Rose, was the best thing that ever happened to me. 
I, I didn't even finish the quote yet. He says, and I'll skip, I'll skip ahead. He says, you must promise me you'll survive, that you won't give up no matter what happens, no matter how hopeless. Promise me now, Rose, and never let go of that promise. Isn't that a great movie promise quote? Okay, here's another one. This is a little harder. I always keep my promises when they're to muscle-bound whack jobs who will kill me if I don't. Guardians of the Galaxy, Peter Quill, if you, if you know that movie. Um, okay, oh, that's enough of that. Uh, so anyway, the point being, you know, our, our culture, our society is full of all kinds of promises. Some we keep and some we don't. But Psalm 105 is about the fact that God is a promise keeper. Uh, not just that he keeps his promises, but that he makes and keeps the most important promise in the history of the world. And that's what Psalm 105 is really all about. So before we dig into, or we won't even dig in, we're going to kind of skim over Psalm 105, but before we can get to that, I want to give you some background about the promise that is the, the framework for the entire Bible. Um, and it is what we call the Abrahamic promise. Uh, the, the promise that God gave to Abraham starts in Genesis chapter 12. So there were some other things that happened in the Bible before that, but not much. Right? We're in Genesis, uh, and we get to chapter 12, and we're introduced to Abraham. And God makes a promise to Abraham. Um, I'll read it, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. But he says, he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, before he changed his name to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So theologians, Bible scholars think of this promise that God made to Abraham here in Genesis 12 as having three parts. Okay, what we call the people, the land and the blessing. Right? God, God promises Abraham that he's going to make him into a great nation. He's going to give him many, many descendants. Okay. The second part of the promise is that he is going to give that nation of Abraham's descendants a land, a land of their own, to call their own, to live in and to dwell. And the third promise is his promise of blessing, that he is going to bless them and through Abraham and his family, that all the families on the earth will be blessed. Okay? So the, when you think of, when you hear the word, or the words Abrahamic promise, we think of the people, the land, and the blessing. Okay? And I will um, suggest to you that the rest of the entire Bible is about God fulfilling that promise to Abraham. Okay, how he fulfills that promise to Abraham. Um, this, this promise to Abraham is, understanding it is perhaps the most important thing to understanding the whole flow and whole story of the Bible. 
um, and we we're we're told that 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 it is important by the fact that um, this promise is repeated over and over again. Okay, God gives His promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter twelve, and then He goes on to uh, repeat it to Abraham again. Um, one, two, uh, at least two more times. He repeats the promise to Abraham in different point, significant points in Abraham's life. Um, Abraham, you know, has a son. He has several, he has two sons, but he has a son named Isaac, who we call the, the son of promise. God repeats that promise to Isaac, okay, because he is the one through whom this promise is going to be fulfilled. Uh, in Genesis chapter 6, um, God says to Isaac, well, I'll read the text to you. Uh, now, there was a famine in the land beside, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring. There's the people as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. There's the land. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Okay. God makes the promise to Abraham. Abraham's son, Isaac comes along. God makes the same promise to Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. You know the story, you've heard the story of Jacob's ladder where, where God visits Abraham, or not Abraham, visits Jacob. And um, Jacob see, has this dream. He sees angels descending and ascending on this ladder between heaven and earth. And um, Genesis 28 reads like this. He says, and he dreamed, Jacob, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to the heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land, hear the word land, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring, there's the people, shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Okay? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we're now the third generation. God keeps repeating this promise, okay? Keeps repeating it because this is the plan that God has for humanity. Um, I'll just give you, if you're taking notes, I'll give you some, there, there's, this, this promise is repeated over and over again. Genesis 50, verse 24, Exodus 32, verse 13, Deuteronomy 6, 10. Should I go slower? Sorry. Uh, 1 Kings 18, 2 Kings 13. Uh, at, and so, and then, and there's multiple times where it says God remembers and God, the, the thing that God does, his action that he takes is based on the fact that he remembers his covenant with Abraham, okay? He remembers his covenant with Abraham and therefore he does this, right? It is the motivating factor in many of the activities of God because he is acting in keeping this promise that he has made to Abraham, okay? 
In the New Testament, I think I've done this before, but in the New Testament, you know, most of us know how the Old Testament starts, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But how many of us know how the New Testament starts, right? Matthew chapter one, verse one. Does anybody know? It starts with a genealogy and it starts like this. It says, Matthew chapter one, verse one, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, son of Abraham. Okay. We're not going to talk about David. There's a reason why David's here, but Matthew, the New Testament, the very first thing it wants us to know about this Jesus is that he is son of Abraham. Okay. Because the whole New Testament is going to tell us how Jesus has come in fulfillment of this promise made to Abraham 2,000 years ago. Okay? 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes as the blessing to all the families of the earth. Okay? Uh, Mary, you know, when she finds out that she is going to bear the, the Messiah, she gives this beautiful... Uh, message called the Magnificat, as you, most of you know. Towards the end of it, she says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Okay, so Mary wants to remind us that Jesus is coming in fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. Um, Zechariah in his song also mentions uh, the fulfillment of the promise. Peter in his preaching in Acts, Paul in his writings continue to point us to Abraham. Paul says that anyone who has faith in Jesus is a child of Abraham, right? That we, those of us who don't have the bloodline of Abraham, nevertheless, if we have the faith of Abraham, we are Abraham's children, okay? Um, and again, I won't go into it too much, but the, the fulfillment of this, of this promise, the people, the land and the blessing is fulfilled on a physical, temporary level in the Old Testament. And it is fulfilled in its consummate, ultimate level in the New Testament through the coming of Jesus. The people who are the children of God, as I just said, Paul says that the children of Abraham are all of us, right? All of us who have faith in Christ are children of Abraham. We are the people of the promise of Genesis chapter 12. The land is the new heavens and the new earth. Paul talks about that. This, this piece of real estate in the Middle East that we call Israel is not the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise of blessing to Abraham. The promise of blessing to Abraham is the, is the kingdom of God. It's the new kingdom. It's the new heavens and the new earth where all of the, all of the children of Abraham will dwell together in the presence of God. So that's the big picture, okay? That's the big picture. That's the Abrahamic promise unfolding throughout the entirety of the story of the Bible. The Bible is full of many little stories, but there's one big story. There's one big story, and that big story is God fulfilling 
his promise that he made to Abraham. So Psalm 105 is a call to worship. It's a call to worship. It's beautiful. The first, uh, I think the first five verses are all um, in this, you know, grammatically this imperative form, meaning it's like a command, but the commands are all about worship, right? Uh, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people, right? This is a call to worship. Give thanks, right? Call upon his name. What does call upon his name mean? Trust in him, right? Express your dependence on, on God. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Speak out, right, the goodness of God. Speak out what God has done in your life, in the world, in the world around us. So Psalm 105 um, is this, is this, starts off with this call to worship. The first... Um, Five verses are all these commands, different things to do, different ways. Sing glory in his name, seek the Lord, remember the wondrous works of the Lord. Um, and then verse six ties us in. Who, are, who is he calling to, to worship? O offspring of Abraham. O offspring of Abraham. Um, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. And then he goes on, um, well, and he says, verse seven, he is the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for the for a thousand generations. Uh, that's verse eight. And then he goes on from there to, to kind of recount the history of, of Israel, you know, kind of some of the highlights of the history of Israel from the time of Abraham up until the time that they actually occupy the land, all right? So there's a lot of history of Israel that's in the Bible that's not covered in this psalm, but it, but it, it comes up to the point where they enter and possess the land, right? And so the psalmist is acknowledging, declaring that God has fulfilled that promise, right? He tells the story of how of the, you know, um, Joseph, you know, had, how he got to Egypt and, and uh, he was, you know, became the whatever the second in command there. And, and during the famine, he brought his family over to kind of explain how the nation of Israel got to Egypt. And he tells a bit of the story about how God took them out of Egypt, you know, through the plagues. Um, and then there's a the wilderness wandering. So there's all this, this kind of the history of what happened. And then it gets to the very end and they go into the, the promised land, right? And so the whole thing is this call to worship, worship God, sing, declare his praises, trust in him. And then the whole rest of it is why? Why should we, why should we worship God? Why should we trust in him? Why should we call upon his name? Well, it's because he has done all these mighty acts in order to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham, okay? So, so that's the summary of Psalm 105. That's the psalm, summary of Psalm 105. I, 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 someday we may go through it more word for word, but it's a big picture. It's an overview. It's a bird's eye view, kind of an airplane flying over the land, getting the big picture. Worship God. Why? Because God keeps his promises, right? 
And not only does he keep his promises, he keeps the promise, right? He keeps the promise, the big promise. The promise that tells us that we are part of something much bigger than what our daily lives are all about. That God is doing this great thing in history and he is calling us, inviting us to be part of that, to join him in this promise keeping that he's doing of establishing his kingdom with a new people and a new land and the blessing of his presence. So, so I, want to, I want to talk a little bit about promises and I want to start with um, what the Bible does not promise, right? What does the Bible not promise? Because there is some confusion about this, I think. The Bible does not promise us that God will save us from all of our troubles. The Bible does not tell us that if you, if you, if you pray, if you believe in Jesus, if you follow Jesus, that all of your troubles will go away. It's just not there, okay? Um, I don't know that it's so true anymore, but you know, back when I was younger, TV preachers were known for making these great claims about, you know, if you just pray enough, you know, if you just give to my ministry, then God's going to bless you and God's going to heal your disease. He's going to heal your marriage. He's going to whatever, fix your problems. He's going to solve your financial problems. That, that's not really the message of the Bible. Um, the Bible does not promise our, that our lives will be easy if we trust Jesus and follow Jesus. Um, and, it's, and it begins from the very beginning. Uh, when God made this promise to Abraham, clear back in Genesis uh, in Genesis 15, God said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. He's talking about Egypt. And will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. Okay? So this is right after God has given this great promise to Abraham, Right? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you people. I'm going to give you land. Everything's going to be wonderful. And your descendants are going to be slaves for 400 years. Okay? We got to come to grips with that. That's part of the story of the Bible. That's part of our story as well. That we come to faith in Jesus and we have great promises that we can cling to. But we better not be clinging on to this promise that all of our problems are going to go away. Because it's not there. In fact, the opposite is there. Um, Joseph, you know, who's, who the psalmist talks about here. If you know the story of Joseph, you know, used by God to do great things. But he suffered. He was a slave, right? Sold by his own family as a slave. Falsely accused of, of impropriety put in prison, forgotten about for years and years. Joseph did not have an easy life until later, you know, he came to power and God used him, but he went through a lot of suffering. Moses, David, you read the, if you read the Bible, God's people suffer, okay? It's just there. It's just there. In the New Testament, 
right? What did Jesus say to his followers? He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, right? Take up his cross and follow me. I mean, does that sound like a, a description of a life of luxury and ease? Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The thief on the cross, right? Jesus is dying on the cross. The man next to him comes to Jesus, right? Becomes a Christian right there on the spot. And then he dies on a cross, right? Jesus didn't just teleport him off of the cross because he now had faith. He had faith, but he still died a painful, miserable death on a cross. And then Jesus promised, today you'll be with me in paradise, okay? But his remaining life on earth was not full of ease. Um, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you read church history, you know, the first several hundred years are full of the stories of people dying for their faith. Martyrs, I mean, just many and terrible, horrible deaths and suffering they go through. And today, um, there's, there's an organization called Voice of the Martyrs that documents the stories of people who are suffering for their faith around the world, um, but who aren't giving up their faith because they know that God is keeping his promise. The fact that they're suffering, that they're being persecuted, they don't interpret as any faithlessness on God's part. In fact, they all, from my experience, they all will testify that God, in the midst of suffering and persecution, God demonstrates, manifests his faithfulness. So, God doesn't promise an easy life, but he does promise that he has a big, beautiful plan that he is unfolding and that he is drawing us into. He is creating this new people of God. He is creating, he will create a new heavens and a new earth. And in that place, God will bless us with his presence forever. But I want to talk a little bit about Along with the fact that, that God draws us into this, his big promise, that there are a lot of smaller promises along the way that are a lifeline for us as believers. Uh, the, you know, the greatest promise of the Bible, I think, is um, I am with you. I am with you. Um, Isaiah 41 says, do not fear for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The, if you know the Great Commission, where, where Jesus sends his disciples to go out into the world to proclaim the gospel and, and make disciples of all nations, he says, 
he ends that, that command with the words, and lo, or behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Psalm 23, I think most of you, many of you know, says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay? There's a promise that we can cling to every day that God will never fail to uphold. What else? Are you anxious? Nervous? Difficult things going on in your life? Philippians, in Philippians, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the promise. And the peace of God. The peace of God. I lost my place. Which transcends all your all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right? There's a promise. Bring your request to God and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What about, are you feeling unlovable? You discouraged about your life, who you are, what you've done? Are you feeling like you have failed God and you have no hope? In Isaiah God says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, he says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nothing, nothing, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You think your sins, your failures can separate you from the love of Christ? No. Nothing in all creation. Are you tired? Are you tired? Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He may not always give you rest for your body when you feel like you need it, but if you go to Jesus, he will give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you feel weak? Do you feel unable to do what God has called you to? 1 Corinthians, God says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
strong in the strength that God gives. What about hope? Are you feeling hopeless? Are you feeling hopeless? God says through Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Do you feel like you're losing battle with sin? God tells us that he is always ready to forgive us. First John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. Are you afraid you can't finish the race? God promises that he will finish what he has begun. Paul says in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God doesn't promise to remove us from all suffering, but he does promise that there is purpose. That there's purpose. The suffering that we go through is not pointless. It's not just meaningless. James tells us, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. God is doing a work in us. When he tests our faith, when he allows us to go through trials, it's because he has a purpose for it. Paul tells us not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And one of the greatest promises that, that again, probably most of you or many of you know, Romans 8.28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, the bad things, the hard things, the painful things, God's doing something good in and through the ugliness that we sometimes have to go through. So, finally, um, I just want to speak to those. The, the promises that we cling to, I'm really speaking to all of us who are followers of Jesus, who have, have put our faith in Christ. But if there's anyone here who is not yet in that position, I'll just suggest to you that the greatest promise for you can be found in John 3.16, verse that most of us know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's a promise for you. If you don't trust in Jesus yet, if you trust in him, he promises eternal life. And eternal life, you know, is not just escape from hell. This is not an insurance policy from hell. Eternal life is, it starts right here. It starts right now. Eternal life is life at 
peace with God and in fellowship with Jesus right here and right now. It's the best life. It's life in communion with your maker. And believing in Jesus, when it says, whoever so believes in him, you know, believing in Jesus doesn't just mean believing that he existed, right? Believing means trusting in him, trusting in him, right? I can say I believe in Karl Marx, right? I believe Karl Marx existed, but I don't trust in him, right? I'm not a Marxist. I'm not building my life. I'm not entrusting my life to what he stood for and what he taught and what he did. Believing in Jesus means trusting him like a Marxist trusts Karl Karl Marx, okay? Believing in Jesus means trusting him with your whole life, trusting him that his ways are right, that he is who he said he is, that he knows what is best for you better than you do. So believe in him, trust in him, and he will give you eternal life. He promises, he promises to give you eternal life. So just to close, I'll just go read again this call to worship. Psalm 105, the first verse. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples because God keeps his promises. Amen.